Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant." And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 5 verse 13, page 1154. If you've got one of these Bibles. Oops. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Good day, everyone. Good to be back from holidays and with you. Um, we're going to be looking at the passage from Matthew 20, so if you'd like to have that open in front of you. I think it was page 977 if you're using one of the church Bibles. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for this time together this evening. And we give thanks for our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave up his life as a ransom for many. 
And Father, we pray that you will help us to see afresh tonight the way in which you served us through him, the way in which he gave up his life for us. And Father, we pray that you help us to see how that sets the example for us, is the model for us of what service in your kingdom looks like. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my house at home, it's common for someone to cry out, it's not fair. How come I have to do this job and they don't? And, and, and I sit down and I explain to them. I say, well, you know, we're, we're a team. You know, as a family, we all have work that we need to do to make everything in the house function properly. And, and that means we all have to do things. We all have to play our role. We all have to take our turn. And yeah, right now it's your turn to serve the rest of the family. But, you know, swings and roundabouts, the time will come when someone else will do something and they'll do it for you. The problem is that that's the, the theory, right? But often it comes out as, just stop whinging and do it, will you? There's something beautiful and, and wonderful when you see someone serving other people. Uh, it's a picture of love that's appreciated. It's, it's something honourable to be admired. An example to use as a role model. It's sort of difficult. I was thinking through the week, how do you put this in words? I find it really difficult to put in words, but it feels good and it feels right. You know it when you see it, don't you? Oh, I love it when, when, when people come up to me and say, is there anything I can do to help? But the opposite's also true, isn't it? And there's something unattractive and something inequitable and something, again, that's uneasy and also hard to put into words about the opposite. But again, you know it when you see it, don't you? So, for example, Friday night, after my small group uh, at youth group on Friday night, or in the kitchen... And, uh, and I said, can I have a volunteer, please, to uh, pick up the Bibles and carry them all the way from the kitchen and put them back on the shelf out there? Well, was I blown over in the rush of, bags not, bags not, bags not, bags not, until the new kid who was there for the first time was left. And he went, oh, I'll do it. Here at Kurrajong, as Sean's already uh, said to us tonight, our vision is to see Jesus honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community and therefore we relish the responsibility that Jesus himself gave us to make and grow disciples. Making disciples involves... Oh, yay, they're awake. <laughs> Connecting and... Sharing. Sharing. Well, man, I thought the other two congregations were going to have it over you then. And of course, growing disciples involves... Maturing and... Serving, well done, well done. We're getting there, we'll, we'll get it into our heads. Okay, now, when you think about it though, making and growing disciples is a massive job, isn't it? In fact, it's an ongoing job that will consume us while ever we live on this earth. Because we live in a big community, there are thousands upon thousands of people in our community who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And so if we really want to see Jesus honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community... We've got a lot of disciple-making to do. And we have a lot of growing to do, don't we? So that we honour Jesus in our daily lives, whether in our vocations or in our homes or in whatever other communities we mingle in. 
And in our church community, while it's nowhere near as large as the, the broader geographical community, of course, there's still a large enough community here that there's lots of work to do to help each other, to spur one another on, to encourage each other to grow as disciples. And therefore, making and growing disciples is a big job, which then means there's lots to do and everybody has a role to play. Now, as Sean has explained, we've changed the wording of the four priorities to make it easier to remember them. Priority four, which is what we're looking at this term, used to be phrased like this. Growing disciples by equipping members to use their gifts. Now, what do you think is the most important word in that phrase? Making, sorry, growing disciples by equipping members to use their gifts. Most people are immediately drawn to the word gifts, aren't they? Because we're fascinated by that. But I don't think it is. The most important word in that phrase was, Graham, use. Use. Uh, That's why we've chosen the word serving to encapsulate this priority. Why should the emphasis be on serving, on using our gifts rather than on gifts themselves? Well, because there are three inherent dangers, probably more, but three that I'm going to talk about tonight, inherent dangers in emphasising gifts. The first one is this, emphasising gifts draws attention to ourselves. Not necessarily deliberately, but that's what it does. What are my gifts? What am I good at? What can I do? It's all about me doing things and maybe even other people admiring me for it. So that's a danger. The second danger is emphasising gifts can create the impression that I've got nothing to offer. You know, I look at other people and admire their gifts. I look at Nathan and Sandy leading the singing tonight and I think, huh, there's no way I could do that. And therefore I'm useless and worthless to the congregation. That's a danger of emphasising gifts. I'm not gifted. Or emphasising gifts limits what we think we can do to only a few options that I'll only do what I'm good at. Even though there are 20 other people all doing the same thing and yet these other six really important things are not getting done because no one's bothering to do them. So to emphasise using our gifts rather than gifts themselves is why we chose the word serving to encapsulate this fourth priority. Now, don't hear me wrongly. This is not saying in any way that gifts are bad. Gifts are very, very good. In fact, they are given to us by God. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about it at some length. But God gives us gifts for a reason, and that is to use them to serve his kingdom and other people. But tonight we're going to begin our attention focusing on Jesus and his example of what service looks like, which is why we're looking at this story from Matthew chapter 20. Now, if you scan back through uh, Matthew chapter 20, what, what we're going to see here is that serving is costly. Serving comes at a price. Prior to this story of James and John and their mother, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about God's grace, about how nobody earns God's grace, about how God's grace is a gift to us that flows from the love of God. And then he reiterates that they're actually travelling to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed and killed before rising to life again on the third day. That's God's grace in action, isn't it? The giving of Jesus 
to pay the penalty for our sin. And it's in this context that we pick up the story, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now most, if not all mothers, want what's best for their children and often are prepared to advocate on their behalf. But this is as bold a request as you'll ever see, isn't it? To sit at the right hand or the left hand of the king is to share the prestige of the kingdom because of your proximity to it. In other words, she wanted her sons to share in the glory of Jesus' kingdom. And on the surface, it it just sort of sounds like she's got an overinflated view of her children or maybe she's just guilty of wanting too much for them. However, what her request shows is that she doesn't yet understand what being in Jesus' kingdom really means. I mean, Jesus has just spoken about it in his own words. We're going to Jerusalem so I can die. Before the glory of the kingdom comes suffering. Before being exalted as king, there's death. There's no glory without pain first. And so what she's asking is for her sons to share in the authority and preeminence of the kingdom without suffering. Now how does Jesus respond? We can see in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Oh, you feel a bit for them there, don't you? It's so awkward when you see someone's naivety so brutally exposed. You don't know what you're asking. Do you really want to drink from my cup? Do you get what it means? You know, and they're bravado, they like, yeah, sure. But the Old Testament gives us a context of what this means. Because in the Old Testament, drinking the cup referred to judgment or retribution. Jesus is saying, I'm going to drink from the cup of God's wrath. You want a part of that? Yeah, of course we do. I don't think they get it, do you? What's worse, Jesus not only exposes their naivety with regards to drinking the cup, he then goes on to assure them that, you know what, well yes, actually you will actually drink from it. Serving Jesus is costly. Partnering with Jesus in his mission involves paying a cost now while we wait for him to take us to glory. Let's try and work out what this means a little bit in, in terms of life. The Bible tells us, for example, there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth or worldly success. Uh, Although they come with a great danger. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yet despite that, we, we aspire to wealth and success, don't we? We want what they've got. We want the property. We want the luxury holidays. We want the popularity. We want the priority service. And what we just don't get is that 
Worldly wealth often comes with extra stress and anxiety and disappointment and temptation and envy. We don't get that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Have you listened to the, the, the studies that they do? People on lower incomes tend to be happier than people on higher incomes. Life is simpler. Well, likewise, those who serve in Jesus' kingdom need to understand that serving comes at a cost. It's not all about glory and prestige. Because volunteering for service means sacrificing time and effort. Serving often means hard work and preparation. Serving often means doing things behind the scenes that the other people are unaware of or doing things that you won't get lauded for. Uh, serving can lead to an increase in FOMO. That's the fear of missing out. Because when you commit to serving people, that means you, you forego the opportunity to do other things. So, for example, if you, you're involved in Friday night youth leadership, you give up the opportunity to do other things on a Friday night because you're committed to being here. Or, or I was saying to the people this morning, you know, sometimes you might go home earlier on a Saturday night so you can get out. Oh, that doesn't apply to you, does it? <laughs> Stay up as long as you like, late as you like on a Saturday night because you can still make 7 p.m. Anyway, serving people can bring disappointment because nobody's perfect and when we're dealing with people, we hurt each other and let each other down, don't we? And serving often involves doing things that doesn't have a direct benefit for me. And so Jesus is teaching us serving is costly. Sometimes the cost is predictable, we can go in with our eyes open, at other times we'll have to pay a cost we don't expect. But we can't allow ourselves to be naive or ignorant. Serving is costly. That's the first point for tonight. The second thing, I just alluded to it, is serving is for the sake of others, not ourselves. Look at the response of the other disciples when they heard about the request made by James and John. We're looking at verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Why do you think they were indignant? Is it because they looked at the pride of James and John and thought to themselves, I cannot believe how proud you guys are. Fancy asking Jesus to do that. And just ask me how humble I am in the meantime. Do you think that's what caused their indignation? I don't think so. I think their indignation came out of envy. They're like, oh, what? The other two got in first? You have to wonder when Jesus said it was up to the Father to assign those places of honour, how many of them thought, oh, I wonder if it's me. And if we're honest, many of us here tonight are thinking the same thing, aren't we? Jesus is obviously aware of their indignation, so he calls them all together for a bit of a chat. Have a look at verse 25. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. What's true greatness? It's serving. It's honouring those who serve others. And this requires a, a massive mind shift, doesn't it? From what the world constantly preaches to us. Because the world preaches that greatness is based on talent and entitlement. But these words of Jesus teach us that greatness is based on service, not on entitlement. 
And that humility needs to be seen as a virtue rather than as a vice. Now, what does this look like in in, in ministry, in church ministry? You see, there are a number of ways in which we can go into service that are actually me-focused. For example, you may wish to serve so that you look good in the eyes of other people. You want to be lauded for what you do or admired for what you do or you want to dupe people into thinking that you're more holy than they are because of the way you serve. Uh, You may think that that serving somehow earns you favour in God's eyes, that God will be more impressed with me if I serve more. Now, it's true we want to please God, but serving doesn't earn God's favour. Uh, You may begin serving so that you have more opportunity to be with people of the opposite sex. And that might stand you in good stead for a relationship in the future somehow. Or perhaps you serve because it gives you control over your little patch of turf and and you'd like being your little king of your little area. Or some people serve because it gives them their identity. I told a story this morning, a mate of mine from the church where I grew up, he used to play in the music team nearly every week. And I said to him one day, he said, you know what, you're more valuable to the church when you're not playing music than when you're up the front sitting on your own playing the piano. He couldn't come at that. Absolutely couldn't come. He just couldn't understand. What are you talking about? He didn't get what church is about. Sadly, now he doesn't go. Some people serve so that they can lord it over others. Now, these are all these are all ways of serving where the motivation for serving is is me focused, not from the motivation to serve others for the sake of others. And so Jesus is going to show us that serving is not for our sake; it's for the sake of others. The presidential race in the United States is currently giving us a very clear example of what selfish serving can do, isn't it? Now, I confess, we're not exposed to much of the the policy content of of what's going on in the election campaigns. But at least in the past, we've we've heard some of the rally stuff where where candidates are openly calling for people to vote for them and and usually the candidates are rich and entitled and they're, they're telling people how great they are and why you should vote for me. And often the momentum behind a campaign, you think President Obama like eight years ago when he was campaigning, the, the way it sort of sweeps through and you think to yourself, do they actually get that guy's not the Messiah? But this year's campaign's totally different, isn't it? It's not so much a look at me campaign, it's a look how awful that person is, therefore vote for me. And it's become a depressing race to the bottom, hasn't it? And how many people have you heard in the last, particularly the last few weeks, as this reality becomes closer, call out, oh, I wish there was a third leader that we could have a look at? They're crying out for a decent and proper leader who will lead and serve the people. And you know what? Jesus is that leader. Verse 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if anyone deserved to be served, it was him, wasn't it? Why? 
Well, he's God in a human body, for starters. He made the world, he made us. Surely he deserves us serving him. What about gifts? Well, if anybody's gifted, surely it's him. He could cast out evil spirits. He could control the weather. He could feed 5,000 people without taking out a mortgage to pick up the tab. He could heal sick people. He could even raise the dead. That's pretty gifted, isn't it? Yet he didn't do it for show. He didn't do it because he was entitled. Instead, he laid down his life as a ransom for many, for others. He served for the sake of others. He served for the sake of me. He served for the sake of you. His death brings life to many, to us. His death pays the penalty for our sin. His death is what we deserve, yet we gain from it. He laid down his life as a ransom for many. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what it looks like to serve for the sake of others. It's giving up your entitlements so that others may gain and flourish from what you do. Remember that reading from Philippians 2? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and was obedient to the point of death. Serving is for the sake of others. And thirdly and lastly then, not only is Jesus' death exactly what we need for our salvation, it's also an example to us of costly service for the sake of others. Did you notice I actually left two words out of verse 28 when I read it? The two words were just as. Uh, Let me read it again in context. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as... The Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this is an example calling on us to die an atoning death on behalf of other people. We can't do that, it's something Jesus can do. But it is saying that Jesus' death is the model for us of what serving is. It models to us that serving is costly and it models to us that serving is for the sake of others. And when you read through other parts of the New Testament, they agree with this idea and sort of flesh out what it means. So, for example, there was that passage we heard read from Galatians 5, which teaches us that we have this newfound freedom from slavery to sin that Jesus has won for us. Therefore, use that freedom as an opportunity to serve others, it says. Or to think of uh, Jesus' own words, his commands. Do you remember what Jesus said were the two great commands? Firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Secondly, love your neighbour as yourself. How do we obey those commands? Well, often we demonstrate our love for God in the way we love other people, don't we? How do we love other people? We serve them. Jesus says, your love for one another will, will proclaim to the world that you are my disciples. So not only is it serving and helping to grow disciples, it actually helps make disciples because it shows the world that we're disciples of Jesus. 
in our growth groups uh, for a couple of weeks, we're reading a book called How to Walk into Church. And, and we're looking at one particular area in which this plays out, which is how do we serve one another when we gather together here on a Sunday night at 7 o'clock every Sunday? Sunday night every Sunday. The challenge every group member had this week was this. Make an effort to sit somewhere different. Why? Because the purpose of us gathering together every Sunday night is to encourage one another and to spur each other on. And by sitting somewhere different, we communicate something very important. We're communicating to the other people in this congregation... I love you, I'm here for you, I want to help you and spur you on and encourage you so that as you live your life for the next few days, you'll keep charging for Jesus. Now I realise that, that, that sitting somewhere different may be costly if it takes us out of our comfort zone or puts us next to someone we don't normally hang out with. That's costly, I get that. But it's also a wonderful way to say to others in our congregation that we love them and we're here for you today. We're here for your sake, not just my own sake. So if you forgot or you didn't quite pluck up the courage to do that tonight, can I encourage you to do it next week and every week? Pray as you walk in the door about where to sit. Uh, there's a quote in the book that really stood out to me and it, just in its simplicity of, of summarising what church is about. Uh, it was on, I looked it up this afternoon, it's on page 32. It says this, Church is not about me. It's not about the experience I have or what I get out of it. Church is a classic opportunity to love my brothers and sisters who are there by seeking to build them up in Christ. Oh, I think that's just wonderful in its simplicity. Because that's what the Bible says church is about. That's just one example. Another example of... Uh, uh, that we could think about at the moment of serving other people is the whole growth group rearrangement thing that we're talking about for next year. You know, will I change groups? So I'll give myself the opportunity to, to serve and encourage a different group of people, to spur them on, to be encouraged by them. Think of it as a serving opportunity. Jesus served us by giving up his life as a ransom for us. And he calls on us to follow his example by serving others for their sake. I've got written in here, even if it's costly, but it's really even when it's costly, isn't it? And what a wonderful and beautiful thing that is when we do it. We know and love it when we see it, don't we? So isn't it great then to do it ourselves and when we see it in his people? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave up his life as a ransom for many. Father, we pray that we'd never lose sight of the, the wonder and magnitude of that sacrifice, of, of that act of love and what it means for us, for our salvation and for our assurance of eternal life. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus and we pray that you would help us to keep trusting him for all things. 
But Father, we pray too that you help us to follow his example of serving others, even though it's costly, and doing it for their sake, not for ours. Father, we do want to see Jesus honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community. We do want to see each other grow as disciples of Jesus. So we pray that you'd help us to see opportunities and make the most of the opportunities you give us to serve one another for the sake of building each other up. We pray in his name. Amen.